0: The podcast where three philosophers sit down at the end of a long conference day to chop it up at the hotel bar, which, as we all know, is where the real philosophy happens. Hey, everybody.
1: Welcome back to a new episode of Hotel Bar Sessions. I am your co-host, Charles Peterson, and I'm sitting here with the fantabulous Rick Lee and the fantastic Lee Johnson. Hey, guys, what's going on? Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm
2: easy. Like Sunday morning. Like Sunday morning. <laughs> How about you, Rick? How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm not so easy, but I'm doing all right. Mine's more like a Tuesday morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Tuesday morning coming
0: down. <laughs> his, yeah, his is like a Chris Christopherson Sunday morning. Oh, my God. That's the greatest hangover song ever. 100%. Oh, my God. All right.
1: So let's get some drink orders in. Um, and then we'll hear some rants and raves. Let's kick this off with Lee. Lee, what are you having?
0: I am going to have a Dirty Girl Scout martini. I hope that that's not pervy. A little bit. Uh, <laughs> that's what it was called in the recipe book that we were looking at. <laughs> what book but was it's this? It's basically a... It's, <laughs> Oh, God. The Good Book. (laughs) It's basically a martini with chocolate and creme de menthe. It's really, really good. It's very Christmassy tasting. And it is that season now where we all get to drink the weird drinks. So I'm going to have a Dirty Girl Scout martini.
1: Oh, my God. And my daughter's a Girl Scout, so that really creeps me out. But okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, all right. So this week I am raving about a podcast called Everything is Alive. (laughs) I really love this podcast. Uh, Basically, it's an interview show, unscripted, but the subjects of the interviews are inanimate objects. Like they'll interview a grain of salt. Or they'll interview a mirror, or they'll interview a chair, or a bathtub, or whatever. It's really, really fantastic. And I think there's two or three seasons of it already. One thing that's really interesting is that some of those early interviews come back. So, for example, The Grain of Salt comes back later and is interviewed as a pane of glass. So it's just <laughs> really fascinating. I highly recommend it. That podcast is called Everything is Alive. This week, I am ranting about... Omicron. Uh, right. So the World Health Organization has indicated that Omicron is a variant of interest. Obviously, I'm really worried that this is the next Delta. Well, it is the next Delta. And I just want to remind everyone out there, listeners, the reason that we keep getting these variants is because not enough of the world's population is vaccinated and practicing safe COVID protocols. I think we all want to get past this. So if some of you could just get your shit together, the rest of us would appreciate it. How about you, Lick? Damn, Lick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i'm not gonna even repeat that <laughs> oh
1: my god it's a girl scout cookie thing
0: <laughs> you know what is so funny is i have literally been waiting for that to happen for some, for, for you to say lick at one point oh
1: my
2: god, oh, my <laughs> oh my god that's awesome all right rick um, what are you drinking what are your rants and what are your raves so given my relationship with Poland, I checked with Rami, and he has one of my favorite beers, maybe my favorite beer in the entire world. It's the original Budweiser, Budweiser, Budvar, which is from Ooh. the Czech region Pchen, which in German is Pilsner. And if you're a region that gots a beer named after you, you're probably doing something right. <laughs> so it's a pilsner, and it is remarkable. So I'm having a Budweiser, the original. Very nice. So what are your rants and what are your rapes? This week, my rant is a little bit along Lee's lines. I'm ranting about mask below the nose. I've seen it a ton in the United States, and Chicago, but my God, in Poland, everyone has, well, when they have a mask on at all, everyone has it below the nose.
0: It's like, what's <laughs> oh the point? God. So I'm wearing my
2: N95 masks everywhere.
0: You don't wear your pants around your knees. Why do you wear your mask around? Speak for yourself, your nose. Lee. I mean, I assume you don't wear your <laughs> pants around here. <your> Some <throat> people do. So what? What are you raving about? This week, I am raving about
2: Stephen Sondheim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, he passed. I mean, the dude was ninety-one. I think he had a pretty good run in a lot of ways. I think he did a lot to fundamentally change Broadway musicals. He brought new harmonic structures to musical theater. I know some actors think that some of his shows are the hardest to sing. I've heard that about some of the tunes in Sweeney Todd. But my God, what a musical genius. And so I just want to both mourn his passing, but also celebrate what a gift he gave to all of us.
0: Me here at last on the ground You win, me send in the clowns Alright Charles, what are you drinking and what are you ranting and raving about? Well I'm gonna
1: stick with Lee's spirit of the season drink without the Girl Scout. Be, you know, <laughs> I'm having a Great Lakes Christmas ale. Ah, nice. And I'm not a big ale person. I prefer porters and stouts, but it's got a really nice fruity flavor that I'm enjoying. So I got a 12 pack from a local store and I'm just knocking those back in between drinking.
0: All right, what's your uh, rant <laughs> and your rave this week?
1: So my rant is unnecessary additions to website animation. <laughs> I wake up Friday morning and it's like Black Friday, and I open up my Amazon app on my phone, and I don't know if you know the little figure that is the link to get to your account information? Mm. This thing waves at me. (laughs) Oh, Right, I swear to God, I thought, ooh, is, is that me? I mean, I really have like a couple of seconds of doubting my sanity. I'm like, I'm imagining this shit. I mean, you know, this is like, am I disassociating here? Am I creating illusions? So, look, bad enough you run the most important global network of the distribution of goods, Bezos. Bad enough you've had so much money you can fuck it off just by going into space for shits and giggles on a dick rocket. A suburb of space. A suburb of space, right? But what I don't need is you adding unnecessary animation to a website that allows me to order books quicker than I normally would. So stop it. I don't need this right now. So that's my rant. My rave is the Oberlin Jumps program here in Oberlin, Ohio. It is a local jump rope organization and it's been in effect for years. And the girls who participate in this, they travel throughout the region in various jump rope competitions to great success. I'm raving because they were invited to and participated in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Oberlin Jumps made the big time national TV for all the world to see as they jumped through the streets of New York. So I want to give a shout out to Oberlin Jumps. So congratulations to them.
0: I had mad jump rope skills when I was younger. Oh, Could you do double Dutch? Oh, yes. I could do all of it. Yeah, but not anymore. (laughs) No,
1: no. I actually had pretty decent skills as well. But those days are past.
0: (laughs) All right. So I do believe
2: Dr. Rick Lee is in the hot seat. Rick, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about transcendence. So normally, I am not a huge fan of transcendence. But after a number of conversations we've all had together, I have to admit, I'm a little transcendence curious now.
0: (laughs) It's a gateway (laughs) transcendence. (laughs) Because up
2: until our conversations, I had always been thinking about transcendence in the form of something like God or platonic ideas or something like that, something that is beyond and outside of the actual world in which we find ourselves. And I've been suspicious of that because normally that functions somehow as a ground for our reality. And I always find that troubling. And we could talk about why I find that troubling. But In talking together, different kinds of transcendence, I think, have been mentioned. One came up in our discussion about music. Another sense of transcendence came up in, I would argue, in our discussion of digital afterlives. And I think often our discussions of various political issues brush up against some other sense of transcendence. That now makes me think that I, well, I at least want to talk about transcendence and see if there are these different senses, and maybe I could go all the way and just embrace my love of transcendence.
1: So let me ask a question what do you have against the notion or the possible experience of transcendence i think that's where i want to start
2: so when i consider transcendence in the form of something like god or platonic ideas what i have against it is just the notion that there is something that does not belong to this world and yet is the ultimate reality of this world And I find that problematic because I think that that almost always gives a metaphysical expression to the values of those who hold power. And it reinforces that power within our world. And so I find that objectionable. The issue of God also, like Marx's critique, that to project this notion means that we don't work on changing the things that are wrong with the world we live in. God will take care of it. Eventually, it'll all be fine. And if not in your lifetime, don't worry, you'll die and you'll go to the big sofa in the sky and Netflix and chill for all eternity. I find that all (laughs) really objectionable.
1: Going to heaven and chilling with Netflix? Yes, that's
2: objectionable.
0: I want to say I don't find a Netflix and chill for all eternity. objectionable. Right. That actually, I've never heard that. You know what? If they, they started um,
1: preaching that at the church down the street from my house on Sunday mornings, I'm there every Sunday.
0: I just had a strange warming of the heart when he said it. But <laughs> but I do want to say that I agree with what Rick is saying. And this is also what I find troublesome. I'd sometimes describe it. That notion of transcendence is kind of like an ace up the sleeve, especially when you're talking about moral or political arguments, that seems unfair to say, oh, but there's this entirely other thing that you can't know at all but which grounds the rightness or the truth or the justice of my position and you just basically have to take my word for it that I have the winning hand
1: here. (laughs) No, I think you're right. I'm I'm smelling a a Marxian critique of this concept and I'm fully on board with that. I, I believe that this is another ground of alienation. This is another way to suppress any creative agency on the part of the masses of people. This is opiate of the masses, right? We all know that famous line from Marx. So I completely agree with that. Yet, my idea of transcendence is never that. It's never the platonic or metaphysical sense of transcendence. Though, I think as we continue this conversation, there may be bits and pieces of this that sniff around or speak to a certain metaphysical sensibility, but it's not necessarily one that's invested in an autocratic, godlike
2: figure. So, if your notion of transcendence isn't tied to A god, or even something outside this world, like Platonic ideas, then what exactly do you mean by transcendence? Because, I mean, just to say the word transcendence has to carry some notion of beyond or outside of.
1: Yeah, I mean, my idea of transcendence, and I like to think that the examples I've given in previous episodes, when I've used the term, speak to the capacity for human beings to move beyond whatever their particular moment of condition or existential state is at that moment. That could mean psychological expansion. That could mean emotional expansion. I mean, I do believe in, I guess, what people would call the soul, so that the metaphysical implication of that, but I do believe in the possibility for the soul to enlarge and to grow. And to me, that's sometimes what I mean by, by transcendence, to be more than what you are.
0: I think I have a similar understanding of transcendence, minus the soul, to what Charles just said. And it's almost entirely borrowed from Jean-Paul Sartre. So one of the things I really like about Jean-Paul Sartre is that he uses transcendence as just a synonym for freedom. And he contrasts it with, his word is facticity, but the givenness of whatever, a situation. And so, in that sense, the transcendence is actually quite simple. You know, if I'm st- standing in place and I take two steps to the left, I've transcended the givenness of my prior situation. And if you believe in freedom, I've chosen a, literally a new position in the world, a, a new perspective on the world, a new situation. And so, maybe too boiled down or too diminished sense of transcendence to even use it as the same word as people use when they talk about a god or the platonic forms or whatever. But that is a sense that makes more sense to me. And I can't find a lot of problems with.
2: Well, except that two things. One is that it seems as if for both of you, transcendence is tied to some notion of limitation or to use the fancy philosophical term finitude.
0: Mm hmm.
2: And I guess that makes sense, because in order to go beyond or outside of something, that thing has to have limits. So I guess in a certain way, I understand that. But also, I think that in the sense that Charles gave about the evolutionary sense of transcendence, that we could go beyond who we are now, what we are now, where we are now, that in a way, that gives the now... Where we are, the given, as you said, Sartre calls it, it gives the given something other than finitude. It it has at least an openness outward that I think is not quite finite. And I wonder if, in fact, just living itself for all living things, not just humans and not just animals, but living itself for all living things, whether in fact that's impossible with a notion of finitude in front of you.
0: Well, I think that's only true if what you mean by transcendence is transcending finitude itself. And I think what Charles and I are saying is that, I mean, just to go back to the etymological meaning of transcendence, which is just to, to climb over, right, right. To, to go beyond, that I can recognize that there are finite limits to a certain situation that I'm in and I can transcend those limits. That's not transcending limitedness itself or transcending finitude itself. I'm not reaching into infinity you know, in the same way that if I climb this mountain, there may be another mountain on the other side, there's going to be something on the other side. When I climb this mountain, I'm not going to just be raptured up into the Netflix and chill space, right? (laughs) Uh, So I think that we're talking about a much more limited sense of transcendence as just overcoming barriers or overcoming is even maybe too strong of a word. It just simply uh,
1: going beyond change. Yeah, Yeah, right. I mean, my thing is, and based on Rick, your response, I'm not sure that I would embrace the idea or the language of finitude. For me, it's always more of a question of possibility that there's always a way by which to grow in relationship to where one finds oneself at a given moment. And that capacity is infinite, right? But there's always going to be something that one can transcend, something that one can grow beyond, some way by which one can, I don't wanna say improve, cause that implies that there's something wrong with one's particular given state. But I want to say that one can expand or one can change. Maybe a more clear word in terms of, I think what I'm trying to say, about this i'm not saying that transcendence makes you perfect but i'm not saying that at all i'm I'm still enough of a low-level dialectician to not embrace that right this is an ongoing process but what
2: i'm invested in is that the process is possible so charles it follows from what you just said That this climbing over, and to pick up something Lee said, I can climb over the mountain and there's something going to be there. So the notion of transcendence you're talking about also entails that that could be a mountain lion who's going to eat me. And Mm -hmm. so transcendence going beyond the limits is not necessarily positive. That is, it could be, I go beyond the limit into something even worse.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that what I hear you resisting, Rick, is the ancient opposition of transcendence and immanence. right so that tra- transcendence has to get us out of the imminent out of the given out of finitude entirely and so in that sense has to be something unthinkable unknowable something transcendent in the god sense or transcendent in the ideal formal sense But I think that what Charles and I are talking about is really a much more pedestrian sense of transcendence, which is just about change. And so in that sense, we might say the only transcendent thing in that earlier sense, in that classical sense, is the future. And we're always moving into the future, right? And the minute we move into it, it's not transcendent anymore. But what happens in that move is always transcending the givenness that was, But I don't want to move away,
1: because I I agree that we are talking about, at a certain level, a a pedestrian way of thinking about this. But I also want to leave room for the question of elevation, that there is, within this broad discussion of what transcendence is, once again, I'm not moving towards saying we have to get towards some platonic ideal, but I am saying there is room for an expansion, and this is going to get me in hot water with Rick, But there's a possibility of a certain move toward perfectibility, if not ever achieving it. But certainly that's there. That's part of the capacity, the possibility of transcending, moving beyond, moving toward something more expansive, greater, more complex or deeper in terms of one's given position.
0: I think that Rick's problem is going to be, though, in the way that you just described that is that if it's moving towards something, Mm. that something is transcendent in the classical sense. Right, teleology. It's it's perfect, it's a form, it's an ideal, it's God. So I think that still maintains the transcendence imminent. So change happens in the imminent sphere. But if the imminent sphere is itself unfolding or developing or evolving, towards some transcendent goal that will never be imminent, then that's still maintaining that, I think. No, no, you're right. So,
1: so, so let me add this. So, let's say that part of what I'm thinking and going back once again to the ways in which I've used the word transcendence in the past, it is not necessarily a permanent state, this moment of transcendence. It could be a temporary state, a temporary move, a temporary elevation, a temporary deepening. Because if I'm not mistaken, the times I've used that, have been in relationship to certain type of spiritual practices. And I know when I've used that, I've thought about those moments where you would have someone transcend the given of the moment as a result of ritual music. But then at
2: the end of say that ceremony, they go back to their particular mundane state. So I wanna come back later, Charles, to that point about that altar call and the music. And, and because that is the first time I remember the term transcendence being used. But before that, so first I have to admit something, that the subtitle of one of my children- He's
0: talking about his books, listeners. For for anyone who just dropped into this episode, uh, on this podcast, we frequently refer to books as children.
2: Because Lee thinks they're the same thing.
0: I mean, they are. (laughs) Anyhow, the title is The Thought of
2: Matter, and now I don't remember the full subtitle, but the last part of it is, And the imminence of transcendence.
0: Yes. I was gonna ask you about that, so I'm glad that you're (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna be like, How exactly are you so opposed to transcendence? (laughs) Well
2: So two things. One thing is I didn't write that subtitle.
0: Hey, like not everybody gets to pick the name of their child, but it's your child, you gotta (laughs) you gotta own it. I'm like, wow. (laughs) Well, I you know,
2: some people think that book titles have to explain what's in the book. And I just wanted it to be called the thought of matter. But anyhow, Charles, I think there's a notion, if I work what you're saying backwards, then there's a notion of transcendence that I can understand. And that notion of transcendence worked backwards would go something like this. If, let's say, from the perspective of a human life, there is this possibility of going beyond of, as Lee put, like going into the future, moving into the future, then, and, and this is my reading of Walter Benjamin's on, or it's called the concept of history, but translated often as theses on the philosophy of history, namely that we ourselves are the result of someone else's transcendence, that moment, that projection into the future, that going on, and and that's the moment that Benjamin says, and we have a weak messianic power, that is, we could make good on that move toward transcendence of the past, because we are the result of it. And I think that's the same thing, Charles, you were saying, but worked in reverse. And if I work it in reverse, then I think I'm down with that. I think I'm okay with that.
1: Hey, listeners, before we have too many drinks and it slips my mind, if you can't catch us at the Hotel Bar, you can catch us on Twitter at Hotel Bar Podcast. You can also follow our HBS hosts individually on Twitter to catch their all-fair thoughts. You can follow Charles at at C underscore F Peterson. And Peterson's with an O, not an E. O, not an E. Rick is at at Rick Lee Philos. That's Rick. Lee with two E's and Philo spelled like half of the word philosophy. And Lee is at Dr. Lee M. Johnson, the doctors abbreviated and Lee spelled L E I G H. Now back to our conversation. So
0: maybe one thing that, I also think that would be helpful to talk about here is the term transcendental in the Kantian sense. And I think that it gives us another angle on thinking about transcendence that is really important, just in terms of the history of philosophy. But obviously, Kant uses transcendental to mean the conditions for the possibility of X. And so, in this sense, the transcendent or transcendence is not so much a metaphysical concept as it is a epistemological concept. It's just what we can't know because all we can know are things within the conditions of the possibility of our knowing them of consciousness. That's something that I think is really important as well, because I sometimes want to say, I, I, I think I'm uncomfortable with transcendence in the platonic or the religious sense in the same way that Rick is, but I'm not so uncomfortable as to say I want to aggressively reject it. I'm just agnostic about it and honestly indifferent about it. It's just something I can't know. I mean, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I will never know. I'll never be able to know. And so I don't get a lot of use out of that uh, concept. However, thinking about the conditions for the possibility of knowing anything at all does at least, I think, force you into that position of either trying to outright affirm some transcendent being or at least being agnostic about it. Just saying like, yeah, well, you know, it could be there. It could not be there. All I can know is what I can know. So I wonder if, Rick, you would say that You are agnostic in the same way about transcendence.
2: I think so. And because so one of the reasons why I I don't like to use the word transcendence is because of this ordinary language relation of that to something like God or the platonic Mm -hmm. ideas and so on. So lately, I've been thinking that justice, for example, at the minimum requires something like an otherwise And I think that I would have to call an otherwise, not this, but otherwise, that I think I would have to call that transcendent in relation to what, Lee, you called the given based on Sartre's language. And I would argue that any work toward justice, any thinking of justice would require that minimal form of transcendence just in the form of it could be otherwise or an otherwise.
0: Yeah, I think that that makes sense. And if I could go back to the music episode again, where we talked about transcendence, I think one of the examples I gave is how when you sing with other people, especially if you're harmonizing with other people, you can have this experience of transcendence. And what I meant by that is transcending yourself as an individual and seeing yourself as an us, a part of a group. I mean, maybe even all humanity. Now, let me say, all humanity does exist. It is a real finite thing. It is not a thing that I can ever know as such. Right. Right. So even though it is a real finite, imminent thing, I can only experience it. In these moments of transcendence, the feeling of it is a transcendent feeling. And what's being transcended is myself as an individual and not as a part of this larger body, this population, this species, whatever. So in that sense, I think that we can talk about something that is really transcendent. Like I really cannot know it. I can never really experience it as it actually is. But I can experience the feeling of transcending my given, what I actually am. I can have these moments where I have this transcendent experience of transcending that very located, very specific, very individualized being without actually having the experience of the transcendent, like the whole of humanity. Does that make sense?
1: Right. We can't know. We can't have this experience of the total unity of humanity, this idea of a one consciousness. But I think going back to the example of playing music with someone or harmonizing with someone if you're singing, the ways in which the different voices become one because everyone's singing on the right key, that gives one a feeling of a glimpse into what a larger unity, being one with other people could feel like and could sound like. So I think it opens the door to at least getting a sense of the possibility of that larger unity, that oneness, the transcending of one's individual body, experience, sensations, perceptions. I think that's what I'm hearing you say, Lee.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's what religions and religious practices largely do is make space for individuals to have that experience. I think what I resist in those traditions, and I think what Rick is also resisting, is that they tag on God. Right. Right,
1: and they tell you what you have to do to have the experience that you're not having that they tell you you should be having.
2: Yeah, I mean, if church were just a sing-along, I would be there every Sunday. (laughs)
0: I mean, I think the other example that we used in that episode also was the idea of being in a rally or a protest or a march, which can give one a very similar experience. And again, you could make the same complaint about certain kinds of political programs that they involve all of these rituals and practices that enable people to have that transcendent experience but if they overprescribe what that experience is that then those practices and those rituals get very dangerous whereas it seems like when you leave it for people to k- kind of figure that project out for themselves figure that experience out for themselves maybe you can avoid some of that problem <laughs>
2: As as far as it seems like we all remember, one of the first moments this issue of transcendence came up was in our discussion of music and particularly certain church experiences that you all have had that I haven't had. And that got me to thinking, and I'm not the first person to think of this, I think since people started thinking about the philosophy of art, transcendence and art has always been linked. And so I I think there in music, we already broached on one element of transcendence in art. In this sense, it's interesting because literally, shendere, the end of transcend, means to climb. You all are pointing to, I'm not climbing over, climbing out, but I'm carried out, which is more of a Mm -hmm. translatio, actually. So translation has the sense of carrying. So I'm carried beyond myself. But it got me thinking in general about the ways in which transcendence functions in relation to music and then other forms of art as well.
0: Could I just jump in here to say that in the music episode—and maybe we should put a link to the music episode in the notes to this episode because we're referring to it so much—but in the music episode, one of the things that I kept trying to stress about why I thought that music allowed for this experience of transcendence was not only because it gave us a way to feel solidarity, as we've been talking about, but also because, in you know, my view— It might put us in contact with the very order of the universe, mathematics, which is itself another art, right? It's an art that is the way we try to express the order and the unity of the universe itself. So two things. One, I want to say, yes, I think you're absolutely right that art is a way for us to experience transcendence. But a lot of things that we don't think of as arts, the fine arts, like mathematics, building things, engineering. These are also arts.
1: No, I completely agree. I, I think we have such a limited idea of what is art or what is artistic. Because I think about like the root of it, artifice, building, create. So anything where one works upon or anything where one creates or anything where one has to construct, I think can be seen as an art. I think about the line from Man on Fire, Christopher Walken, to anything can be an art. A man can cook or a man can kill. But these things can be done in an aesthetically elevating way and thus create the space for a transcendent moment. Though it's grim to think about transcendence and murder, but I guess it's not impossible.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you that any kind of making (laughs) is going to involve transcending the given and transforming it into something that it wasn't but is now or at the moment of that making will be. So I think that is definitely one sense in which transcendence is kind of embedded in the concept and the practice of art. But I think another way is that art itself, art objects, let's say, which is of course going to eliminate some forms of art, but art objects anyway, uh, a lot of times are meant to show us the world Not as it actually is. Even representational art is a picture of the world that has transcended the world as it actually is and presented that world back to us. And so in that sense is always transcendent.
2: Well, Lee, it's interesting because when I teach comedy, I always begin with Aristotle's poetics and maybe because I was raised by Heideggerians, although I've (laughs) I've since left the church.
0: Let's really not talk about peasant shoes, please. No, no, no peasant shoes. No, 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 no. (laughs) But it's
2: interesting here to contrast what Aristotle calls their poiesis, right? Making. Right. Right. From causation. In that sense, it's not as if the air outside drops below 32 degrees Fahrenheit, and so the dew on the grass freezes, and I'm now open to transcendence, because Mm -hmm. that can just be traced by imminent causal mechanisms. And so I think what Aristotle's pointing out by his use of this word is that there's a kind of production that we need to set apart from causation. And that is, as you were, I think, really nicely pointing out, that's something that takes what is possible in what is given and makes something otherwise. And even if that is what Aristotle would call a mimesis, an imitation. And so I often show my students this painting. I think it's a Picasso painting, and I think it's called a woman in a chair, or something like that. Lady in a mm-hmm. chair, uh, one of those. And it's a Picasso painting, and so her head is on the side, and her arm is uh, on the top, and she, you know, she broke. She <laughs> broke. And I, I show this to them, and I say, this is an imitation of a woman in a chair, but it's a poetic. It's a poetic. It's it's a making of another world that helps us understand something true and right about the world in which we find ourselves. Mm -hmm. To go back then to what I said earlier, if I'm committed to that form of otherwise, then I have to also be committed to some form of transcendence, even though it makes me queasy. Mm
1: -hmm. So going back to your example of the Picasso painting that you discussed with your students, and going back to your point about how this poesis reassembles the elements of the world and then shows them or represents them to the viewer in a way that provides a truth or a greater insight into the world. Can we say that through aesthetics or transcendence as occurring through aesthetics, what we're talking about is the ability to be lifted into a reimagining of the world through the particular poesis of an artist, which can happen in music, which can happen in visual arts, which can happen in dance, composition, so forth and so on. Am I hitting something there, or am I just...
2: Yeah, and Charles, this resonates so much. I I am really captivated by the way in which Adorno ends Minima Moralia. And you almost quoted that verbatim in what you were talking about. So if I can quote it, he says... And and by the way this aphorism is entitled in German zum Ende which means at the end and it is the last aphorism but it's interesting what sense does he mean at the end but anyhow he says perspectives must be produced which set the world beside itself alienated from itself revealing its cracks and fissures And Charles, it was interesting to me how in in talking about the Picasso painting, you got there, that the real world doesn't present itself as it actually is, strange as that may sound. And so art is one way we have to find these perspectives back on the world in which we could see its cracks and fissures. Yeah, I
1: think about it as art is having a, a reordering possibility as well that it allows for us to rethink and reimagine, if you will. And to me, that's a manifestation, or that's a possibility for transcendence, that reimagining, that reordering, that moving beyond what we see into what could be seen.
0: So this is really fascinating to me because now I'm rethinking... I, th- I feel like what we've been kind of tossing around here is the question of really whether or not art is a transcendence or a translation. And it seems to me that translations, just in the linguistic sense, always reveal, as you say, fissures and cracks. <laughs> but I don't think that that's the sense that we have when we say that we're having an experience of transcendence. I don't think that most people would say that that experience is revealing fissures and cracks, but rather that it's demonstrating or illuminating or showing unity and wholeness.
2: But I wonder though, Lee, in that experience of unity, I I would say that there is at least the possibility for me to reflect back on my life outside of that unity, prior to that unity, without that unity, and see that as damaged.
0: No, I think so. But going back to the Jean-Paul Sartre example I I used earlier, where I said, you know, if I'm standing in one place and I take three steps to the right, I've transcended the given. I can always look back and say, huh, now I can see where I was in ways that I couldn't see it before. But I don't think we would describe that as... Transcendence, that looking back, that kind of evaluation as transcendence. No, I
2: agree wholeheartedly, but it requires a transcendent perspective. Correct. Yeah.
0: Yes. Mm, Okay, wait a minute. I don't know if I want to say yes so quickly, because I don't think that it requires a transcendent perspective. I, I think once I'm three feet to the left, I am just situated differently in the same finitude now if I could go back in time and be my previous self and somehow see in the future my future self I would say that that perspective is transcendent but of course that's impossible because we're always going into the future we're never we, we can't go in the back in the back in the past we can't go we can't go in the back like, <laughs> We can't. <laughs> Not anymore, damn it! Civil rights. Civil rights. <laughs> we can't go to the past and look forward. And so in that sense, my perspective is never transcendent. It's always situated. It's always given.
2: Yes, but it's transcendent to another given.
0: Right, but only from the perspective of that past given is the future perspective transcendent. But when I look back on myself... I don't think of my evaluation of the past as a transcendent view on the past. I think of my evaluation of the past as an entirely situated, finite perspective on something that has... Do, do we? Do you? I mean... No, no, no. Let's. I, I think there's something, at least I'm thinking, it feels like something's missing.
1: And you're right. Just being able to look back after you've moved three steps to the left, and you look three steps to the right, that's not necessarily transcendent. What I'm curious about is how do we experience that movement, moving three steps to the left and then looking three steps to the right. What does that mean for us? What does that do for us? And I think about the great lyric from Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace album, My soul looks back in wonder at how I got over. And to me, that's an expression of the experience of recognizing and understanding that that movement has had this particular effect upon me. And the contemplation and the experience of that movement is the transcendent.
0: Yeah, I would say that the experience is an experience of transcendence. The reflection on the experience is not an experience of transcendence. And I'll say it for this reason. It's because even when I look back on things that have happened in the past, even things that have happened in the past in my own life, I still understand the consciousness that is looking back on them as a part of the consciousness on which I'm looking back. So that it's not that I'm transcendent of that past. I'm just the most recent moment in that past. I'm not outside of time and looking back on that. Like if I believed in a heaven and I believed in a soul and I died and then looked back on my life, then the way you're describing it would to me makes, it would make sense to call that a transcendent perspective. But no, I think that when when I look back on the past, the consciousness that I'm looking back on is a part of the present. Whereas the future is not right. Anytime I'm moving into the future, I'm transcending the given. Anytime I'm looking back on the past, I'm just considering the given in a larger historical framework than I normally do. But it sounds like you're saying that there's ultimately no change. No, there there is change, but it's only in the future. So you're just talking about a chronological move. I'm trying
1: to speak to something else as I think about transcending.
0: What you just said a second ago was that using the Aretha Franklin, you said that she looks back on her life and she wonders how she got there. You, so you said the movement of the change is a transcendence, and the reflection on it is a transcendence. And I'm saying the movement is, the reflection isn't. So, Lee, I
2: don't buy the argument, or maybe I don't understand it, because you were the one who started by pushing me toward this mundane notion of transcendence, and the experience was walking two steps away from where I am. Yes. So if my walking two steps away from where I am is transcendence, because I am no longer where I am, I'm out of I'm beyond where I am, then my looking back on that place, not necessarily on my consciousness, but back at that place, I'm looking back from a perspective that has to be called transcendent to that place. It's outside of that place.
0: So here's what I want to say, because I think you're leaving out one important part of my earlier argument, which was that transcendence is always future oriented. So when I say I move three steps to the left in that movement, that is an experience of transcendence. I am transcending the givenness of my situation, moving into the future and also moving in space. And the end of that is that I am located in a different place that to my previous self, would have been seen as a transcendent perspective, right? But once I'm there, there is a continuity between the me three steps to the left and the me where I am now, so that the me now doesn't have a transcendent perspective on the past me. I That's me too. There's a continuity between those. I'm not breaking any givenness. I'm not climbing over anything. It's all a part of the me that I am now. So there's no infinitude being overcome or lifted out of or anything like that. It's all still a part of who I am.
2: So you slipped in both me and consciousness where I was just talking about one position being outside of another position. So I wasn't talking about you looking back at you. I was talking about from over there looking here.
0: Yeah, but you're saying that as where I'm in a place where my perspective where I am is a perspective of transcendence in relation to whatever. And I'm saying some that, other place. Yeah. And I'm saying that in the givenness of any place or any time or any consciousness or any perspective or any sense of self, that is never going to be a transcendent perspective. That is always going to be a situated, given perspective. And that the move of transcendence is to climb out, overcome, be lifted out of whatever, the given. And so that, like, I don't know how you could say that any of us ever have a transcendent perspective without saying that we are gods, that we're like outside of finitude. This goes
1: back to what I was saying earlier about transcendence not being a permanent state. But being a momentary experience and then one goes back into the given or the mundanity or however you want to describe that fixed positioning that one may have. And then you experience in one's movement, transition, transformation, one experience of transcendence and then going back to the basically the reset of one fundamental existential position.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm just too attached to Sartre's conflation of transcendence and freedom, that I, I guess, like for me, the experience of transcendence is an experience of myself as a free being. Now, whether or not I actually am a free being just like doesn't matter, right? I can't know that. But I do experience myself as being a free being. And I think I only experience that as I'm moving into the future, as I'm transcending the givenness of my situation. And so that in that sense, the experience of transcendence is never a perspective. It's always an experience.
2: Two problems I have. And one is uh, you've pinpointed a problem I have in general with Sartre, and, and that has to do with his notion of freedom related to decision. But that opens onto a second problem. In a strange way, Sartre reinscribes the traditional Christian, or at least I should say medieval Christian notion of time, and it puts All of the import on the now moment and a particular notion of the now moment, namely directed toward the future. And I think that this directedness toward the future, especially coupled with this kind of decision, makes the future the result of a decision I have made in a now moment that from the perspective of the future is gone because I'm continually moving into the future and like the one, I can't remember the character's name, but from Ally McBeal, then I look at the past and I'm like, bygones, I, <laughs> yeah. I, it doesn't matter.
0: So a, a couple of things. One is that the idea that we are always future oriented is, of course, not Sartre. I mean, there's a long phenomenological tradition that he's inheriting. Sure. And it is something that I agree with. So, like, I don't have a problem with that future-oriented perspective when we're talking about the experience of a human consciousness. I do think that in my reading of Sartre, and this is not the episode to get into the weeds about this, but the way that people talk about Sartrean's absolute decision is a misreading. You know, it's overinflated. So I don't think that that decision is as problematic as you're describing it, but it's a very popular reading, and so that's fine. But I think that I want to stick with the future orientation because I think that that is the limit that we are quite literally every moment transcending.
2: Lee just called me both dumb and basic.
0: I did not. I did not. <laughs> I, did not. I mean, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. I neither confirm nor deny that you were... <laughs> But here's the thing, you can transcend that. <laughs> if you just come to my church and do the readings and sing the song, do the sing-along. And and I, I
2: love the notion that in contemporary, at least in the US, in contemporary capitalism, you could always transcend by buying.
0: Ah, uh, yes, of course. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Hey, yeah. can
0: I just say one thing quickly, just since you said, at least in the U.S., because I do think, and and like, again, we do not have the time to get entirely into the weeds on this point, but I do want to make it, is that we are really talking about this from an extremely yeah. Western perspective sure. and sure. you know this idea that even the way that we talk about our consciousness as being so kind of classic European enlightenment yeah. individualized and the experience of unity or solidarity being a transcendent experience there are of course many cultures many religions many points of view many ways of being in the world in which the unity is first and that actually yeah. you know and the individuation is actually uh, would be uh, the transcendent experience so if you're taking notes at home For the record, we did say that we are aware, we are fully aware of our Eurocentrism. But I do think that this is the tradition that the three of us are working in, and this is our experiences as situated and cultured people. And so I think it's important to talk about how we understand transcendence. But it, of course, would be different if we were in Vietnam or Botswana or pick any other place in the world. (laughs)
2: Hey, we couldn't hear you while you were shouting into your headphones. So if you have feedback or suggestions for future topics, or if you just want to pick a fight with one of our co-hosts, or in fact, all of us, just visit us at www.hotelbarpodcast.com and click on the interactive page. We're there often to solicit listeners' feedback on past episodes and contributions for upcoming episodes. If you want to belly up to the bar with us, at least virtually, you can always email an audio clip, keep it under two minutes, please, to hotelbarpodcast at gmail.com. If it's interesting, we're going to steal it from you. If it's not, we'll send you our Venmo handles and you can virtually buy us a drink. The only reason why I, I came back with saying you called me both stupid and basic was just to to model that we could disagree about these things. And this is what the hotel bar is about. Yeah,
0: t-
1: 100%. All right. Well, speaking of being called stupid and basic, I think Rami is a little tired <laughs> of our bullshit. And I think I'm seeing the indicator of the last call. But before we do that, Rick, do you want to give us a, a takeaway on this?
2: Well, so I just want to thank you both because I, I think you've allowed me to see first that there are other forms of transcendence. But you've helped me think about the ways in which various positions that I hold and that are really important to me actually could, from a certain perspective, be called transcendence or at least requiring something transcendent and I think that's important I I think this issue of solidarity which was brought up to me is something really crucial I happen to think these days moves toward different forms of solidarity are probably either all we have left in the United States or one of the few things we have left because the law seems no longer on our side Congress seems no longer on our side nothing seems on our side any longer. And so I think these moves towards solidarity. I also like this notion of a fragile transcendent. I think that's something really cool that this discussion has brought out, and I'm going to have to think a lot more about. And I think I then demonstrated to you why Adorno is the best philosopher (laughs) Once again. (laughs) I love the fact that you didn't say of all time, you just let
1: it lit the best philosopher. (laughs) Of the future. future.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just want to say that I also really appreciate this conversation. I think just in the few days before we had this, thinking about the topic, I was really struck by how how quickly it came to me that my objection to arguments that rely so heavily on transcendence are, as I said in the very beginning, kind of ace up your sleeves arguments and that they can be very manipulative and I think unfair (laughs) to use as arguments. But as I was thinking through this concept I realized that, you know, I myself am pretty sloppy and actually very manipulative with the way that I use Transcendence as well. And so it's good to just get here in the clean hotel bar of thought with you guys and uh, really work through it.
2: Wait, is this a thought experiment, Lee? Oh,
0: shit. You clever minx. I've literally been over here only shaving myself the whole time. And you haven't... <laughs> And passing, <laughs> passing Chinese notes to both
1: of you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right over the line. Right <laughs> over the line with that. But well, this has been a fantastic episode. It's been great talking to both of you. I think we're going to call it a night before we get kicked out. All right, everyone. Have a good one. See you later. Thanks, Rami. Bye.
0: Bye, guys.